Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Yeah, I did my regular job today. I was I did some uh, did some yard work and some light household cleaning, and uh, yeah, I'm done for the day as well. God, short day for you. Must be nice. All right. Well, welcome back to the South End Zone, part of the Belly Up Sports Network. I'm your host, Jason Bailey. Thanks for hanging out with us. I'm with my co-host, Eric Mulher. Eric, what's going on, man? Uh, the usual, uh, you know, cut the grass and uh, did some, you know, pulled some weeds, uh, <laughs> fertilized, you know, the huge. Uh, talking to the man with the greenest of thumbs, ladies and mm-hmm. gentlemen. Anyway... All right, so for the listeners this week, we previously recorded a conversation with uh, Barrett Salee from CBS uh, Sports, and he covers college football. He's one of their major sports writers, and uh, we're going to include it here on this episode and just put it in as a segment here, and we're going to have you listen to that, and then we will react to it on the back end of that. And welcome back again, boys and girls, to another week here in the South End Zone, brought to you by Belly Up Sports. I'm your host, Eric Mulher, and I am joined by another special guest uh, today. You know him from his work at CBS Sports HQ and Sirius XM Radio. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Barrett Salee. Barrett, uh, thanks for coming on. So we've had a number of guests over the past few months. Uh, you're our probably 12th or 13th guest, uh, but they've all been team-specific beat writers, uh, You know, whether it's LSU or Notre Dame or Utah or whomever. We wanted to be a little more wide-ranging with you, and we're going to hit you, you know, kind of jump around a little bit and hit you with some rapid-fire questions from this conference, that conference, and sort of everything in between. First thing I wanted to get your take on, though, was the recent release of the expanded college football playoff schedule for the first two years. Everything seems pretty straightforward, but the one thing that I just, I can't get over, can you shed some light on why they insist on playing the title game on Monday nights still? (laughs) Yeah, it's because everybody is sort of programmed to watch Monday night football. So uh, ESPN and Disney, because they have that game, just go ahead and say, all right, look, if, if everybody's watching the Monday before with the NFL, you might as well keep that momentum going. So uh, that's what's going on. Obviously, it's going to get pushed back with the expanded playoff, but 
they the programmers and the and the TV executives feel like that's the way they should go, just based on viewer habits. And uh, otherwise, you're going up against you know the NFL and you know with ABC slash Disney slash you know ESPN having that contract, they they don't want to go up against their own product. So that it's what they feel makes the most sense. I, I don't necessarily love it, especially the kickoff time. Uh, because you know, us on the East coast, we get, uh, we got to stay, especially with kids. You know, I got an 11 year old son. I got two kids, 11 year old son who wants to stay up and watch the national championship game. Um, and he can't luckily this past year, it was over by the end of the first quarter. So we actually did get to go to sleep, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it's unfortunate, but that's the way they, they do it. That's the way they feel. Okay. So that's, that's strictly a, a network decision. That's not anyone in the, uh, the college football player for the NCAA. That's strictly the TV people. Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It's all about money. It's all about TV executives. So uh, everybody that's involved with the college athletics portion of things just sort of have to bow down to the TV gods. Oh, fan figures. Um, so shifting gears uh, more to less TV and more about football. Uh, Alabama is trying to replace their starting quarterback, which obviously is a tall task. Uh, they've had two guys throughout spring ball, neither necessarily distinguish themselves. And then last week we find that they, uh, they bring in Tyler Buckner, uh, the transfer from Notre Dame. And on the surface, it makes me wonder how comfortable they are with and confident they are in, in that position as a whole. If I'm a Bama fan, should I be nervous about that? Well, I think there is a lack of confidence uh, in, in the quarterback room. I think what, what Alabama, I think misjudged was, how long they should sort of tolerate uh, that kind of indecision. You know, I think they thought that Ty Simpson or Jalen Milrow could, you know, assert themselves uh, in spring practice and essentially take the bull by the horns. Nick Saban always uses that phrase. Uh, And that had to happen earlier this year because of, of all the moving parts. But I think what ended up happening is, the second transfer portal window just didn't deliver many quarterbacks. You know, you've got essentially now three, um, well, actually really two. There were three when Tyler Buckner was available who are halfway decent with, you know, with Thorne and, and Johnson and, and Buckner. And so what what Nick Saban and Alabama were, were forced to do is, is take the best of some pretty average options. And that's, they just misjudged it. I, I think that, uh, when we sort of look back at this past six months, I think what we'll we'll notice, and I think it's pretty clear now, is that Lane Kiffin did it right. You know, he got two really good transfer quarterbacks to 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 compete for his job, which is a direct you know 180 degree turn from what what Alabama did. So um, you know, you live and learn. If you're Nick Saban, you know you don't misjudge a lot. You don't do a whole lot wrong. But I do think that he managed the past six months from his quarterback uh, perspective uh, wrong. But, you know, we've never done this before. So I guess it's excusable. Well, staying with Alabama for just a moment, uh, I wrote an article last week for Belly Up Sports about Nick Saban. And it was trying to answer a question that I saw on Twitter a little while back that, that seemed kind of strange at first. But the more I thought about it, the more it seemed like a legitimate question. And Jason and I have very differing opinions on this. But the question is, has Nick Saban already won his last national championship at Alabama? And I kind of concluded that, you know, if I had to bet, uh, he, I think he may have. And that's based more on 
you know, the, the, the changing landscape around him than him himself. But Jason obviously disagrees, but we were curious to get curious to get your take. If, uh, if you had to bet one way or the other, do you think he's got another one in him or not? Yeah. I mean, I, I do. Well, I mean, it's so hard to sort of judge where programs are now because, you know, the, the free flow of, of personnel. I think that, I think every coach really despises what college head coaching has become because in the past, we're talking about Urban Meyer, Nick Saban back in the, in the mid 2000s, they were the only two that really treated it as nonstop 24 seven, 365 work. Now everybody did, but then now you really have to have, you know, a staff of 50 people to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And so I think he probably has another one in terms of the talent he can amass, but I mean, it's really hard to win national championships. You know, I think the, the dirty little secret that a lot of people seem to forget during, you know, the, two, the 2010s is that you got to be good to win national championships. You got to be really lucky. And, and Alabama is no exception. You know, in 2017, they barely got in to the playoff, ended up winning it. But under normal years, they probably would not have gotten in the playoff. So you got to, it's, I think it's one of those things where if you're in the discussion in November, you're doing all right for yourselves. You know, Alabama tends to find its way to, to find its way through whatever, you know, roadblocks are in the way. The problem is now Georgia's in the way and Georgia doesn't look like it's slowing down anytime soon. So, you know, he's going to have a team or two or three or whatever that's capable of it, but you can't predict luck. And, in in anybody's case, you you have to have the chips fall in a certain direction. Yeah, we just thought it was an interesting question, uh, and it really has to do more with you know Georgia being you know becoming Georgia, and they're not going anywhere. And Brian Kelly looks like he's starting to build something special at LSU. Uh, Auburn maybe turning around, and it just you know like you said, it, it's not easy to win. Uh, so shifting gears, I want to go to another place with championship expectations year in and year out, and that is Ohio State. And Ryan Day is 45 and six in his five years there. He's lost to Michigan uh, the last two years convincingly. And it seems really, really wild to me, but is there a chance that if he goes out next year and loses to Michigan again, uh, despite putting up the record he has through his first five seasons? Like, is there any chance he ends up in the hot seat? Because it seems like that's the perception. And I just can't wrap my mind around a guy with a new wins 90% of his games being in jeopardy of losing his job. It's uh, help me, help me make sense of that. He's under a, a, a unique kind of pressure. And, and I wrote uh, a story, I don't know, two weeks ago about the coaches that are under pressure, not necessarily on the hot seat, but face various kinds of pressure. And Ryan Day was on that. And and the reason is, you know, losing to Michigan is is not okay, especially from the old guard at, at Ohio State. Winning national championships is okay. And they made the playoff once this past year, obviously. Uh, they barely missed it uh, two years ago when they lost to Michigan. So the new guard, the younger folks, they think that's okay. You know, it's a it's sort of a mixed bag, you know, Everybody seems to like and dislike him for a variety of different reasons. It's just up to the individual what they weigh as more important. But now, in the new age of the playoff, an upcoming 12-team playoff, they're probably going to make the playoff every year. Every single year, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, if they lose to Michigan, but they win a national championship, what's more important? And and the answer is, I don't know. You know, I think it's it depends on the individual, uh, it depends right? Who you ask, I guess. Yeah, and and so I, I would imagine that he'd be fine. But let's just say this past year or this upcoming year, the same thing happens where they lose to Michigan and they're on the fringe of the playoff. Maybe they don't make it. Is Ryan Day coaching for his job in twenty four? I. I don't know, right? Like the the answer, I think, and I hate to to dismiss it, is is I don't know because there are so many different moving parts, and he's in such a unique position where it's it's almost impossible to predict, you know, fan reaction, booster reaction, administrator reaction to something that you know we've we've never really done this before. Well, even looking at those six losses, I mean, you're talking Clemson in 2019, Alabama in 20, lost to Michigan twice, Georgia. It's not like he's out here losing to to Cal or Akron or somebody. Right. You know how many people would kill to have that that resume? Yeah. The perception might be that he can't win the big game, but I would argue that there's 125 other coaches out there who can't get their team to the big game to begin with. Exactly. So uh, – yeah, transitioning from Ohio State, and I want to maybe touch on another coach that was in that article you mentioned that, that people should check out. But that is down at Texas A and M. There is a situation that I think is not getting enough publicity because it has the potential to go very, very well or just completely off the rails uh, and be an absolute disaster. And that is the Jimbo Fisher, Bobby Petrino dynamic. I'm I'm really really surprised that that is not being talked about enough because it it seems to me like it is just a ticking time bomb like those two guys together trying to coexist is just a situation that is fraught with peril i think the latter is probably more likely than the former but i think you're right like there is no in between with those two i mean you're talking about maybe the two most stubborn coaches in college football history and or on the same side of the ball and during the offseason, Jimbo Fisher has been sort of noncommittal about what each person's role is going to be. If Jimbo's going to call plays, is Petrino going to call plays? When are they going to, you know, are they going to mix it? You know, it's just like it, it would be one thing if uh, let's just go back to Gus Malzahn and, and Rhett Lashley. Right. There was one year where they gave Rhett Lashley a little more leeway and then they took it back the next year. But at least there were like defined roles. Right. There's no, there are no defined roles in, in that situation. Plus, I don't necessarily think that they've got a ton of talent, you know, championship caliber talent, competitive talent. So if if things do go off the rails, is Jimbo going to jettison Petrino? I, I think the answer is yes. So it it has a, it has a very likely uh, possibility of going off the rails. Will it work? I just. I don't think so. I just don't. I don't think that that those two personalities and those two offensive philosophies can work together. Well, yeah, I think for me, it, it's more about the personalities than anything. I'm I'm just surprised it's been relatively under the radar. But uh, so jumping out of the SEC, at, at least for the time being, uh, let, I want to move over to Texas. And man, I'm trying hard not to fall for it. Uh, again, because they're, Texas is like that girl in high school who who makes you think you got a chance and then breaks your heart. But man, they look like they have a chance to be really, really good this year. And 
you know, obviously this is not the first time I've, I've thought this, um, and I've been disappointed before, but is it, can I start believing in Texas or is it another trap? Uh, or can they be back finally? So I'm not one to buy into the Texas is back narrative either, but when you look at what Sark did from year one to year two, mm-hmm. he actually did a really good job, especially in trying circumstances where his starting quarterback goes out five quarters into the season. So I, the fact that that quarterback comes back, uh, Arch Manning is behind him, although I think the Arch Manning hype is is a little different, um, would be different if he was not named Arch Manning, uh, but he's still good. And they've got weapons all over the place. They've got great receivers. They've got a good running back core. They don't have B. John Robinson as like a focal point, but they've got a really diverse, you know, core. So, and then you got TCU losing its quarterback. You have, you know, Kansas State still sort of middling around. You got Oklahoma trying to figure out its its identity. Like there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of 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 holes that they could fill in that conference, right? So is Texas going to be back from a, a national perspective? Probably not. Could they make the Big 12 championship game like they did a few years ago and, and then played in the Sugar Bowl? Yeah, they could. I, and I think that's if that's if that qualifies as Texas is back, I think they can be back. I don't necessarily think it does, though. I mean, I think for 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 that sort of moniker to be truly eliminated, like Clemsoning was in the mid to 2010s, then they have to be a national player. Um, but I, I, that doesn't mean they can't be pretty darn good and make the Big 12 championship game. Yeah, that's just the the one thing I don't think they get enough credit for is, is being better on defense, like they were. No kidding. I thought that was a big key in them going from five wins to eight. Uh, personally, yeah. Uh, speaking of Clemsoning, let's talk about Clemson. M- moving on from DJ Uyunglele, uh, he's now at Oregon State, and it, it, interesting to see where Clemson goes from here, and also kind of interested to see where he goes from here. Um, you know, are, are they better off with the setup they have now? And kind of part two of that question, as far as DJ goes, can he redeem himself? You think? Uh, is there any chance for him as far as the NFL? Well, I mean, he's now at uh, at, at Oregon State, so uh, I don't know if that's the case. But you know, Cade Klubnick, I think in in a situation like this, he came in, saved the uh, ACC championship game, the bowl game. You know, whatever. It's it's a bowl game. People are in, people are out. I'm not too worried about that. But you know, getting getting Garrett Riley in there, uh, who was the architect of that TCU offense, is is big. Uh, Brandon Streeter did a terrible job, I thought, in his one year calling plays, um, and I think when you bring in Cade Klubnick, you know, there's still sort of that, uh, that uh, the same mindset of, of DJ, like, oh, he, he's played really well, but a small sample size. I, I think it's different this year because you have an established coordinator who led a team to the national championship game last year. Um, Cade can do a bunch of different things. I think putting him in the Heisman Trophy race, which a lot of, a lot of sports books have him right now, is a little aggressive, but they've got a great running back in Shipley. They, I think can be much better offensively along the offensive line. And I I think that when, when it comes to the ACC can, you know, if they run into Drake may and North Carolina in the conference title game, is that going to be a problem? It it might be, but getting there 
the only hurdle is Florida State. And I think Florida State's going to be really, really good. And and that game's probably a toss-up right now. But uh, I think they're going to be much more consistent. I think you're going to see uh, a much more um, a much more downfield attack in the passing game, which I think is is beneficial, especially if they can loosen things up for Shipley. And, and I think they're going to be in the mix. I mean, are they going to are they going to win the ACC? I don't know. I would probably pick Florida State right now, but could they finish top ten and make the uh, and make a, a New Year's Six bowl? I think that's possible. So, yeah. Now, and then, in regards to G- DJ Uyunglele specifically, he did an interview with The Athletic uh, recently that I'm assuming you read. He was less than complimentary uh, with some uh, some of his feelings towards uh, Clemson in terms of their offensive scheme and the coaching and the the lack of development that he feels he maybe he got. Was that sour grapes or you think there's something to it? I think most of it was sour grapes. And I think the rest of it was frustration directed at Brandon Streeter and, and really the, the, co- the, the staff as a whole. Um, but he's the one that's supposed to complete those passes. He's the one that's inaccurate. He's the one that was supposed to run in an offense that he could succeed in because it was the exact same thing that, that they were running when, when they went up to Notre Dame um, and he set a record uh, and win the game. They, they didn't win the game, but you know he, he set, set the record for freshman passing yards at, at, at Clemson. So uh, sour grapes a little bit, but it's still his responsibility, and he did not follow through on, on the hype that was, I think, going in to his time as a starting quarterback warranted. Okay, uh, last one, because I know you're busy. We've got to get you out of here, but uh, I'll just keep this one real brief, simple, straightforward. Can USC – win a title with this defense that, that they currently have? No, they, no. I think that you have to be adequate and, and they just aren't. They, I think the, you can't, if you don't focus on funnels, then how are you going to beat some of the teams that are clearly more talented than you? I mean, you go back and watch that PAC 12 championship game mm-hmm. I mean, they're bouncing off Utah players like they're ping pong balls. I mean, it's sad how fundamentally they just were not prepared. And it was kind of like that all season. And I don't think that's something that's going to fix itself this offseason because they did lose some players. So can they make the playoff? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, Could they be like Oklahoma in 2017 and scare the hell out of somebody in a semifinal? Yeah, they could. Uh, But I don't think it's likely that they would. But they could get in the, get themselves in that situation. Yeah, I just I watch them and I just I can't help but think that like simply outscoring everyone is only going to get you so far. Like who, what was the last team to win a title that that had an actively bad defense? Like LSU in 2019 wasn't great, but they were at least decent. They were adequate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, L, I w- I saw LSU seven times that season, and it was like, okay, they're not bad, they're not great, but whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, they were. I mean, they were at least good enough. And you get up by five touchdowns, maybe you let off a little bit and give up some garbage time points. But I just, I look at them, and and for as great as Caleb Williams is, and he's fantastic, I just can't, for the life of me, see him dragging that defense to a national title. Yeah. All right. Well, I know you got some other things going on. We'll get you out of here, but I can't thank you enough. We really appreciate your time. And for our listeners, you can catch him. Uh, again on CBS Sports HQ, but uh, Barrett, we'll let you go. And thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having me guys. Anytime. 
Mr. Sully. Well, what do you think, Eric? What were some of your major takeaways here? Uh, my major takeaway is that my suspicion that things at Texas A&M and how poorly that could go not being talked about is enough um, is correct. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, as, as you heard, and, and we talked about this actually before the episode, which is why I brought it up with him. The whole uh, Jimbo Fisher, Bobby Petrino dynamic is kind of a minefield. And, and it has the potential to go very, very poorly, and it will be interesting to watch. And then the uh, the other big thing I did want to get into him with was was Ryan Day and his performance versus expectations. And, you know, does Ryan Day, who is uh, whatever, 45 and 6 or 46 and 5 or something crazy like that, you know, if he doesn't win one particular game this year, does he really deserve to be on the hot seat? And I guess it kind of makes sense, right? Depends on who you ask. Because uh, if he has another year like this year where they lose to Michigan but still make the playoff and acquit themselves well like they did, then a certain contingent, and some of it might be based on era or age uh, of Ohio State fans, will be okay with that and consider that a, a reasonably successful season. Maybe some of the old guard will look at that and say, I don't care, we lost to Michigan, uh, which, which I kind of get. But just the idea, I wanted to bring that up with them because the idea that someone who has won – 90% of his games uh, is in some sort of jeopardy of being forced out is insane to me. Well, I, I understand both sides of that argument. I mean, the, the correct answer is no, he should not be fired. I don't care right. if he loses to Michigan seven times in a row. It doesn't fucking matter if he's going 11 and one every year, you don't fire that guy. I mean, it, it just is what it is. At least you, you shouldn't. I mean, it's like, who are you going to go get? Right. Who, that, who are you going to replace him with? That's better. He, that's that's like heart. rule right. one of firing a coach is, you know, you better be good and damn well ready to find someone better. And <laughs> I don't know who that is. Like, yeah, I mean, who's going to have a better winning percentage than ninety? Like, that, that's a that's a tough sell, man. So, it's like, yeah, there's like three dudes, and you're not getting any of them. <laughs> no, you're, no, you're, you're not, not getting Dabo. You're not getting Saban. You're not getting Kirby Smart. No, like you're, you know, obviously you're not getting Harbaugh. No, uh, and he's not even anywhere near ninety, anyway. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was it was just weird. But uh, I, you know, I'm certainly grateful and appreciative that we were able to to get uh, you know twenty or twenty, I think twenty three is what it came out to, or twenty two minutes um, sitting down with him. Someone, it's a different format for us because uh, all the other guests we've had have been very very specific. Whether it's you know Nebraska or Notre Dame or LSU. Uh, or even like the Pac-12, strictly the Pac-12 media deal, right? It was a very specific topic with Dennis Dodd last week. So it was kind of a cool, just sort of jumping around, you know, uh, SEC, Pac-12, Big Ten, Big 12, here and there. And sort of, you know, he's a good sport about the the rapid fire uh, style of questions and no real rhyme or reason to going from, you know, the Alabama quarterback situation to is Texas back to can USC ever win a title with this defense? Uh, so it, it was fun. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, uh, Alabama quarterback battle is muddy. Is Texas back? No. Can USC ever win a title with this defense? No. <laughs> that's that's what I would have. Uh, that would yeah. have been my three quick answers. Yeah. And. I think those are my big takeaways other than same thing with Dennis, right? First takeaway obviously is it would have been fantastic to have, you know, another 20 minutes and have him not be as, you know, quite a busy as a person as he is. 
um, and maybe dig a little deeper instead of surface scratching like seven different topics, really kind of drill in on uh, one or two particular things would have been cool. But well, by and large, uh, again, it was it was enjoyable to talk to. He's he's a pleasant person to talk to. He's obviously super knowledgeable in the sport and tied in. And you know, it's uh, it's twenty three minutes that most people don't get to talk to Barrett Slee. Yeah, I mean we're we're fortunate there, and uh, all our guests they've been gracious enough to lend us their time for free because <laughs> we're not paying any of them. Right, which is fantastic. But uh, so they're they're very gracious people. So if you haven't listened to some of our episodes, go back and check them out. A lot of good info over the last several weeks, couple of months, with a lot of good beat writers and uh, sports writers and uh, things like that. So, uh, Eric. Any other major takeaways or things you want to catch up on before we jet out of here? I don't think so. I think we're all caught up because this, uh, you know, there wasn't our our last recording was recent enough where not a whole lot has happened. So there's nothing nothing other than uh, this morning's conversation with Barrett to really catch up on. So it's just Indeed. a matter of figuring out what we're talking about next. All right. Well, I'm sure that won't be hard. We'll figure it out. We've got some uh, good stuff on the docket coming up. We've got. Uh, Got Cole Kublik uh, slated to come on at some point once XFL's you know over and done, and he's got some time to maybe sit down with us for a bit. He'll be on with us. Uh, uh, who else have we got lined up? We got a Ohio State beat writer lined yeah, up. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Ohio State here probably in two weeks, mm-hmm. um, and Arizona State as well. A, a, a team that I don't necessarily expect to be very good, but I do find interesting given. Uh, kind of the changes they're making in the direction they could be headed in. Yeah, well, they they can't go any further down, so there's that. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you guys can find us on social media at South End Zone Pod. You can follow me at Jason Bailey forty seven. You can follow Eric at Eric Mulhair. And we'll be back with you next week. And I'm not sure what we'll be talking about yet, but. Uh, rest assured it will be related to degenerate behavior or college football or a combination of both so till then catch you guys later thank you very much have a great day thank you for listening to this belly up sports podcast network product some said we go belly up so we made it our name and we're still here